the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Oh, 0500. Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long Your life will pass by as a vapor And you will stand before the judgment seat of God And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, you know the one you never knew. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin and believe. On the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment That's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm shakes at the mention of his name he has power over life and death every knee will bow and tongue confess heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father will you bow will you to his majesty he can save you from the might of all your sin this is the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ
You can find peace in him from the judgment that's to come. He is a shelter from the coming storm. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from all your sin and believe on the risen Christ. You can find peace in Him from the judgment that's to come. shelter from the coming storm He's the only shelter from the coming storm First John the fourth chapter First John, the fourth chapter. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed us his love. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete. And we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen 
cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he's given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This question of God's love has been quite difficult for me. Let me tell you why. I hear from people, from some of you who listen, Pastor, you need to talk more about the love of God. You can't be all doom and gloom. You need to talk about the love of God. And I would say to you that the most spectacular thing in all of the universe is the love of God. There's nothing like the love of God. His compassion, his love, his mercy, his kindness goes so far beyond anything that I can even begin to imagine. What he has planned for his people will so far exceed our expectations that we will be astonished. We will simply stare at his beauty, never having seen anyone or anything so beautiful as our God. Beautiful in image, but beautiful in character, in innocence, in compassion, in love. Jesus is so kind. So why don't I spend a lot more time talking about the love of God? Because I experience his love day by day, and it's marvelous. Well, this is where it becomes very difficult. And I need your full attention to hear and understand what I'm going to say to you. It will be uncomfortable. But we do need to hear it. How do we approach a person who is walking in sin? Do we approach that person by telling them God loves you. He died for you. He wants to save you. Will you believe on Jesus and receive his grace? Is that our approach? It is the approach of the modern Christian. It is not the approach of Scripture. So the reason I do not talk more about the love of God with you is because I recognize that many of you, most of you, are still living the wonderful American life and you have not yet turned your life fully over to Jesus Christ. Now again, I'm on this broadcast for only one purpose. I'm not here to educate you about the love of God. 
I am on this broadcast to do everything possible to secure your salvation, the salvation of your soul. And where does that begin? Where does that salvation begin? It doesn't begin with God loves you, that God has unconditional love for you, that he died for you. It doesn't begin with Jesus went to the cross for you. That's not where the gospel begins. So I take you to scripture and I want to show you in the scripture where the gospel begins. And if you miss this part of the gospel, you're going to be in serious trouble because you will never understand the love of God. You will never sense the great need for that love if you have not passed this first mark. And can I be very vulnerable and honest? It's taken me many years to pass this mark. Because everything I've been taught is about grace and mercy and kindness and and unconditional love. And it was all false. It was a lie in context. A person said to me, I'm so grateful that I'm saved by grace. Well, what did that person mean, saved by grace? Did they mean they were covered with a blanket of the grace, unmerited favor of Jesus, and that when Jesus looks at them, he will see himself and not them? If that's what they meant by, I am saved by grace, they have believed a lie. We'll dive into that today and tomorrow. So let's go to the scriptures and let's ask the question, where did Jesus begin talking to people about salvation? So in Matthew, he comes out of the desert where Satan has tempted him. And in chapter 4, verse 17, from that time on, that is from the time he walked away from the devil in the wilderness. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Remember, John the Baptist's message was very similar. You remember what John the Baptist said? He was the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And the people came confessing their sins. They were baptized by him. Chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist came preaching repent. Jesus came preaching the same thing. So, if I want to testify to one who is not a Christian, and I would define as not a Christian any man or woman who continues to walk in sin, I'll show you that in a moment in 1 John. And the first thing we need to say to a family member, my dear family member, the path you are currently on will take you to hell. You need to repent. You need to stop sinning against Almighty God, for His wrath is upon you. I'll show you that in just a moment. The first word that is spoken when it comes to the gospel proclamation, and gospel means good news, good news of the kingdom of God. The good news is that you have been allowed by God to apply, to enter the kingdom of God if you meet certain requirements. Not if you do certain things. It's not by works. We'll go down that road too. But please hear me. Jesus begins to introduce his ministry not by saying, Oh, my dear children, God loves you so much. I've come from heaven because I love you. They would have said, so what? We don't need you to love us. We don't need you to love us. We're fine. We're doing great. What are you talking about? No, Jesus came and the first thing he said was, you need to repent. You're walking in opposition to Almighty God. And he said this to religious people. You need to repent. And then if you go to the Beatitudes where Jesus in chapter 5 begins to lay out a very systematic step-by-step -step process into the kingdom of God and then through the entire Sermon on the Mount he will speak specifically to behavior changes that must happen in your life. The first thing he says is, Oh, how happy, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the word poor there in the Greek means I have no capacity to help myself. I am helpless. I am bound. I am bound in sin. So Jesus comes saying, repent. And the man comes saying, Jesus, I can't repent. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. I can't do it. This is something you're going to have to do in me and for me. I can't do it, Jesus. 
I can't pull myself up to be eligible to enter heaven. And then blessed are those who mourn. So in other words, it's an admission. When you come, you hear the word repent. You then say, I can't repent unless you repent in me. There's a work you have to do in my heart, Lord. I can't do it. And then the next step is we begin to mourn. We begin to mourn over our own wicked heart. We, get, we begin to mourn over the selfishness, the sexual uncleanness, the permissiveness, the anger, the bitterness, the hostility, every unclean thing. We begin to mourn over what we see in our hearts. This is where the gospel begins. It does not in scripture anywhere begin with, I love you. So what if you love me? I'm bound. I can't change myself. I know I'm lost and hell bound. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then blessed are the meek, that is, blessed are the gentle. When you finally recognize truly what your condition is before a righteous and holy God, and you weep and mourn over that condition, your heart is gentle. You're not going to criticize others. And you're going to begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for innocence, But let's go on. Let's go to the book of John. Let's go to John, the third chapter. A man from the Pharisees. A man who was very, very religious and practiced every known law of Moses. His name was Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, Nicodemus, I love you. God loves you. His grace is sufficient for you. Is that what Jesus said? No. He said, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born from above. Nicodemus, you have to be changed. And only God can do that change in you. You can never enter the kingdom of God like you are. Please, my brother, my sister, I want you to give me your full attention. You cannot enter the kingdom of God until you are born from above. This is not a philosophical statement. It is a literal It is a literal statement of the reality of your heart and the reality of what God wants to do in you. Oh, we say, love the sinner, hate the sin. 
Did you know that's not found in the scripture anywhere? And it's not true. God hates the evil man. That's what the scripture says over in Psalms 5, 4 to 6. God hates the evil man. I could give you many, many scriptures that talk about God hating the wicked. And if you are not born from above, you are a wicked man. Even though, like Nicodemus, your outward life looks like it's in perfect accord with the law of Moses. Jesus still considered him a lost man, a wicked man. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. That is, unless he is washed clean and he is walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. The flesh can give birth to all kinds of dressing up the evil-hearted man. He can give up his smoking and his drinking and his drugs. He can give up his fornication. He can give up all kinds of things. He can dress up that old man with with the finest suit. But it's still a lost man. He says, you must be born again. And all Nicodemus can say is, how's that possible? How's that possible? Let me turn now, please, to the book of of Romans. I want to show you in this classic theological statement that is the foundation of our understanding of grace. I want to read for you where Paul begins the journey for an unbeliever as he was directed by the Lord. First, in the introduction, he says, In verse 5, chapter 1 of Romans, verse 5, through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So I walk in the same way as Paul has taught me he walked. I come to call you to obedience that comes from faith. That's not make-believe obedience. That's real obedience. Now I want to read verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. What would make Paul ashamed of the gospel? I can tell you. Paul believed in walking a life of 
absolute integrity of righteousness. He did everything he could as a Pharisee to walk clean before God. But we know from the book of Acts that even in that attempt to walk righteous before God, he was persecuting the church. He was having people murdered. He was having people beaten. Families were separated. He was a wicked man. He had not been born from above. What would make Paul ashamed of the gospel is a gospel that allowed a person to think they were righteous when they were still walking in unrighteousness. He would be ashamed of a gospel that would cover over your sin and your lack of having been born from above. Listen, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Up to that point in history, righteousness had only come from the law and by the law. And it was a complete failure. No, there has to be another source of righteousness flowing if man is to be saved. He says that that righteousness is straight from the heart of God, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Righteousness by faith. Now, the lie of our modern church is that faith can be had and can function without making us righteous. That when Jesus looks at us, he won't see us. He'll just see himself. Because we've said, okay, Jesus, I'll accept you. I repent of my sins. I'm good to go. Now, you may say to yourself, Pastor, that's not how I am. Let's ask a couple of questions. Do you walk in righteousness? Are you conscious of the presence of Jesus in your life, affirming your life and granting you his peace and his joy? Do you still walk in disobedience to the Lord? Do you still walk in self-will? Or have you totally given yourself over to Jesus? See, salvation does not begin with God loves you or Jesus loves you. That's the lie of the modern church. We have heard love, 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 love until the modern church has cast it aside and said that love is of no value. Well, that love is of no value to them because it has not transformed them. We are not transformed by love. I hate to burst your bubble. You can love a sinner 
You can love a sinner with all of your heart and all of your might, and they will never receive Jesus Christ because they have no clue. They just believe that they are entitled to your love. A pagan couple that I have worked with and worked with and worked with are so confident that they are entitled and I've not been able to break through with them. There's only one way I can break through, and that is if the Holy Spirit comes and uses the words of my mouth and my actions to say to them, the course you are now on will take you to hell. You have to leave this lifestyle. You can't live like this and go to heaven. And I have said that to them. And they didn't want to hear it. They blew me off. And they said, Pastor, we just really appreciate your love and your kindness to us. Well, my love and my kindness, they did not want. My love and my kindness was to say to them, you are not seeking Jesus. You're seeking a lifestyle. You want your job. You want your car. You want your life. You want, you want, you want, you want, and Jesus will give it to you. No, he will not. You are under a curse. You are under the wrath of God. And if you don't repent, he will destroy you. Well, that pretty much ended any ministry to them. But let me share. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. The word righteousness here means innocence. In other words, there is by faith, coming into our lives in a new birth, an innocence that we never before have had, where we are no longer guilty before God. Our sins have been washed away, and we fear God. Let me show you why. Verse 18. Here is where the Apostle Paul begins his proclamation of the gospel. The first 17 verses of Romans 1, simply the introduction to the Holy Ones in Rome. And now he is going to begin to speak specifically about salvation. He writes... The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. The word wrath here means an active, passionate hatred unto destruction. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. This is the first step that must be walked through 
with any person that you wish to win to Jesus Christ. The first step is they must come to know the wrath of God is against them and his judgment is coming upon them. Now you can call that doom and gloom if you choose. I don't. I call that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you must know your desperate need for that gospel or that gospel will be a casual entitlement and you will never get to the real issues of life which are the desperate wickedness of your own hidden fleshly heart that causes you to say, I don't need to be born from above. I'm fine. Thank you. I'm working on this and I'm working on that. It's only going to take me a little longer to to get through these issues. I'm almost there. I've already solved the drugs and I've solved the tobacco and I've solved this and I've taken care of that. I'm getting myself all cleaned up. No. No. Salvation and righteousness do not come to a person by their hard work. Salvation is a free gift of Jesus Christ. It is not by works. So no man can boast. It comes by faith. But it is faith that works and transforms and regenerates a person, makes them into a new person. Now if you read carefully through chapter 1 of Romans... You find that God gave people over to the sinful desires of their hearts. He gave them over to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Do you understand until you say flat out to a person that you wish to share the gospel of Jesus with, they are not ready to hear the gospel until they have faced clearly and cleanly the wickedness of their own heart, that they are hell-bound on their current path. So many people that I know continue to play with the devil They don't want to give up their life for Jesus. They want their life, but they want Jesus too. And so the modern church has accommodated this wickedness of saying, okay, Jesus loves you just the way you are. If you're walking in sin, he does not love you. You are evil. And he cannot save you as you remain in your wickedness. You're going to have to leave it. There are some other passages of scripture we should probably take a look at. I want to look with you over here. First John. Look with me at 
1 John 3. Well, let's go to verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. This is people who have been born from above. I'm happy to talk all the time about love, the love of God, the compassion of God, but I'm only going to do that to people who have identified and and realized the desperate wickedness of their own heart and that they are on the way to hell. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. In other words, it is a voluntary act on my part in rebellion against Almighty God. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Jesus came to take away our sins, not to save us in the midst of our sins. Please, if you don't hear anything else I say today, Jesus did not come to save you because he loves you in the midst of your sin. Jesus' love is made manifest to you as he rescues you from your sin and brings you by the Spirit through a new birth, a new life. The old is gone, the new has come. Verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know the children of God and the children of the devil. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So let's let's be clear today. I'm going to take this much further tomorrow. But I want to be clear with you. Salvation is a free gift of grace. We are saved by what Jesus Christ did at the cross plus are allowing him to apply that in our lives and grant us a new birth. It is all of Jesus. It is all by faith. We are to be made into new creatures. Now, I hear people say, Oh, pastor, we can't ever stop sinning. As soon as a person says that, says that I know, I know, that they have not yet been born again. No one who is born again will continue to walk in sin. 
Now, some of you may have been born again at some point, but now you have gone back and you have rebuilt what the Holy Spirit removed from your heart. And many of us have done that. I have. And I had to go back to Jesus and repent and confess and pray through until I got to the root of that issue and then ask him, please remove that root from my life. I don't want it. My heart is to love Jesus with all my heart and to walk in his love to belong to him. But in order for you to belong to Jesus, you have to leave your sin. Now, some people have said, oh, I think I'm a Christian, but if I listen to Pastor Ray, he doesn't think I'm a Christian. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter what Pastor Ray thinks. It matters what the Word of God says. We've got to stop listening to what everybody says and read the word for ourselves. Read 1 John. Read the book of Titus. Read the book of Romans. If you had any concept of what I'm speaking about today, you would no longer go on with your normal life as it is in America. But rather, you would seek his face with all of your heart. You would read his word. You would turn off your television. You would turn off your internet. You would turn off all the things of the world that distract you, and you would seek the face of Jesus Christ. And if you're not doing that, then you're not saved. You have to be born from above. And it's a gift of grace. It's a supernatural act of God that he does in response to a human heart that cries out after him. According to the Beatitudes, we have to recognize our true condition, our poverty, that we can't do anything to change our situation and we have to come in that place and mourn over the wickedness of our heart. We have to see it. We have to taste it. And as we do that, our heart will be comforted because Jesus will come and he will do that marvelous work of giving us a new birth. I am desperately tired of talking with men and women about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all they want to talk about is, oh, I want to, I want to hear, Pastor, about the love of Jesus. No, go find out what your soul truly is like. Go find out the wickedness of your own heart. Ask God to reveal it to you. One famous television pastor came to preach at our college when I was at college. And when I saw him come in, it's a large congregation. We were in a 3,000-seat auditorium, and every seat was taken. This man 
I knew to be a very arrogant and proud man. A wonderful speaker. A television preacher. He came to the to the podium after a wonderful introduction and he began to weep. He just stood there and wept. He said, I decided I was not as effective in ministry as I needed to be. And so I asked the Lord if he would show me what I look like to him that he would reveal to me my heart. And he said immediately, he showed me my heart. And it was the ugliest thing I'd ever seen. He's saying this through his tears. He said, I have been completely humbled before Almighty God. And I have repented of my arrogance I have repented of my pride. I'm nothing and I'm nobody. Now he was ready for the love of God. And he preached a powerful sermon. Please hear me. Please hear me. Grace does not cover sin, ever. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, Titus 2.11. Tomorrow we're going to talk about how he saves us, what that looks like. I just know today that if you're laid back and casual about your walk with Jesus, if you've not spent time weeping before the Lord, if you've not spent time crying out to him, asking him to please show you the true character of your heart. If you walk confident that you're saved and on your way to heaven, and yet you still walk in wicked, wicked ways, you're still caught with the entertainment of the world, you're still caught with, with what you want, I talked with a couple. They're full of what they want. Oh, I have to have this, and I have to have that. No, when we come to Jesus and we really begin to recognize who we are before him, we give all of that up. And we say, Lord, I'll receive from your hand whatever you choose to give me. I'm not going to go after my wants. I'm going to go after the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I pray you'll be with me tomorrow. 
we're going to go deep in this topic. Because I know that many of you who listen every day are still walking in disobedience before the Lord with your time, your energy, your money, the lust of your heart, the anger and the bitterness of your spirit. I know you've not been totally born from above. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know his love and his mercy and his compassion. But heads up, you're going to have to get serious about that with Jesus. Well, that's all the time we have today for for this broadcast. Again, we are asking you to help us. I want to thank Tom and his wife for their gift to keep us on the air. This is going to be a a difficult month financially. I know that already. I've been praying about that. So please, if you'd like to help us, you can write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195 and anything you give will go straight to cover the radio it does not come to me it's not salary for me it goes to pay waiver write to me at National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 you can also go to our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com God bless you my brother my sister I want to know that you have been born again and you're walking in the fullness of the love of Jesus Christ God bless you I'll talk to you soon General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.